Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. If you're ever out in the wilderness somewhere, ladies and gentlemen, and you get between a mama bear and her cubs, you're in big trouble. Big trouble. You need to you need to you need to avoid that situation, as you know. Well, there's a ministry that's been started recently called Mama Bear Apologetics, and uh, the founder is Hillary Morgan Ferrer. And there's a brand new book out, which I really enjoy, by the way. It's a great little apologetics book. And it's, it's not just evidence. It's how to uh, protect your kids as a mama bear or a papa bear uh, from the craziness that's going on in our culture today. The atheism, the secularism, all the different ideologies that are being pressed in on our children today. How can you do that? And Hillary has put together this wonderful book. She's the general editor. She's written a, a number of chapters in here as well. as Some other great uh, apologists as well. We'll get into it as we as we. Uh, unfold this program. Hillary has a master's degree in biology from Clemson. I'm going to want to ask her about that. She's kind of a specialist in scientific apologetics, dealing with doubt and identifying causes and solutions for youth leaving the church. And uh, I went to school with her husband, John Ferrer, who's also a great apologist himself. So it's great to have Hillary on the program. Hillary, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you. And I, I love the fact that you and John went to school together. So, uh, well, he he's forgotten more than I'll ever know. He's a brainiac, John. How do you how do you keep <laughs> up is. with him? How do you keep uh, up with him? Well, I don't know. I just think our marriage is slightly different than most people's marriages. We kind of sometimes laugh at what our pillow talk sounds like as opposed to others. So, um, yeah, I think it's just that was one of the things that brought us together is we both like talking about these things. And uh when he married me, he luckily wasn't looking for just a, <laughs> a pretty little woman that would just, you know, be quiet and, and take care of the house. He wanted a conversational partner. So um, that's that's what he got. <laughs> I'm sure you win all the debates because my wife wins all the debates in this household, too. So um, I like to this... think that we refine each other. Oh, you do? Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, this book here, Mama Bear Apologetics, why did you decide to put it together? How did this come about? Well, uh, we originally had Harvest House uh, approach us to ask us about writing a book. And so as soon as they did that, I just started brainstorming of what kind of book they, they specifically wanted to have a Mama Bear apologetics book. I'd actually been working on a, on a book proposal for Diagnosing Doubt, which is a talk that I've given many times. Mm -hmm. But they said, no, we really want to have this Mama Bear apologetics book. And so I thought, OK, I want to look at what's currently out there. I don't want to duplicate efforts. Natasha Crane's a good friend of mine. So she was one of the people that I called and said, okay, tell me what, what the next books you are that, that are coming up. I don't want us to create the same book. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of apologetics books, number one, I think this book is unique in the fact that it is directed directly at moms. Cause I think moms are just a unique demographic with unique needs. Uh, but secondly, a lot of the apologetics books are more info, I don't want to say information loaded, but it's like mm -hmm. kind of trying to teach stuff that, that the moms don't already know and answering questions, giving evidence, all of which is so, so important. But the thing that I saw lacking is 
asking where are these questions coming from in the first place? And so I got together with several of the ladies who are involved with Mama Bear and said, okay, let's sketch out a book that hasn't been written, that's going to be written directly to moms. And we just kind of started looking at cultural lies that are permeating everything, including media and, and education, and said, how can we address each of these to where we're not giving moms new information. We're giving them probably words to express what they've already noticed. In that sense, I think it's extremely empowering. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from women to, who have said that's exactly how they feel, is that they've noticed this stuff going on, and they just didn't know how to talk about it. And now they feel like they can talk about it. Papa Bears can read this, too. It's not just yes. for moms. And it's anybody can read it because you do have just truth in here that can be expressed in a memorable way. In fact, in every one of these chapters that I've been through here, you've got this ROAR acronym, R-O-A-R. -R. Explain that. What's that about? Yes, the ROAR acronym. It started out, we had <laughs> really confusing. It was like the six D's, and but none of us could remember them. So Julie Lowe, who's <laughs> great with acronyms. Yep. Um, said, let's get something bear related. So the, uh, the ROAR stands for number one, recognize the message. This is basically our method for discernment because we want to distinguish the discernment that some people have where they think they're just finger pointing everything. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's wrong. And I think that's a really uh, obnoxious, uh, I guess, definition of a discernment. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to number one, recognize the message. What is the message that's actually coming out? And so kind of at the beginning of each chapter, we kind of give an overview. And then when we get to recognize the message, we kind of put it in bullet form of what exactly is the message that's coming out. Uh, the second step is offer discernment. And there are two parts to offer discernment that are very key to understand. And to have discernment, you have to be able to recognize things for what they are. You have to be able to identify what is good. And you have to be able to identify what is bad. And a lot of people skip the good part. And so they just want to rail against anything that's uh, that they don't agree with without looking at what is the good that this idea is bringing to the table. Because usually, um, like I think it's Walter Martin from Kingdom of the Cults, he says cults are the church's unpaid bills. And so if we mm -hmm. look at some of these ideas, they're usually capitalizing on something that maybe the Christian church has neglected. And so we need to identify what is it that the church has neglected taking that good, but then reject the bad, the, the lies that have been kind of brought in with that idea. So that's the offer discernment. The A is for argue for a healthier approach. And that's where we can say, okay, the good that we saw in this idea, how can we take that to the Bible and say, how does, how does a biblical worldview better address what they are trying to do with this idea? And then finally, the final R is reinforced through discussion, discipleship, and prayer. And so in this section, we have maybe some activities or some conversations that moms can have with their kids. And Julie Lose, who's been involved with Moms in Prayer for almost 20 years, went through and charted out each one of the chapters and wrote just a theologically rich prayer that you can pray over your children regarding these things. Cause it's not just a mm -hmm. battle of ideas. It is a spiritual battle as well. And I think but, moms are unique in the sense that they want to pray over these things. They just sometimes don't know how. And moms impact their kids more than any other parent um, because they're with their kids more often than the father is typically not always the case. 
Yeah. Uh, so moms have such a great role, obviously, in the future belief system of their children. And you you do this, uh, Hillary, and we're talking to Hillary Morgan Ferrer, the new book, Mama Bear Apologetics. You deal with so many issues in this book. I'm just going to list them here so our people who are listening now can <laughs> understand what's in here. And then we'll get into some of it as the program unfolds. You talk okay. uh, about self-helpism. You talk about naturalism. You talk about skepticism. You deal with postmodernism, moral relativism, emotionalism, pluralism, new, new spirituality. Um, which is uh, uh, could be uh, the new age, new spirituality, Marxism mm-hmm. you deal with, feminism and progressive, or I like to call it liberal Christianity. I don't like to cede the word progressivism to the liberals because they're not really progressing anywhere. They're regressing. But liberal <laughs> Christianity, you have our friend Elisa Childers, who's actually going to be a CIA instructor for us this year in Brooklyn in a couple yeah. of months. She does that chapter. You've got all this in here. And then inside of each of these chapters, you have this ROAR acronym. So how can you recognize? How can you offer discernment? How can you uh, uh, what's the A again? Argue for a healthier approach. <laughs> Argue for a healthier approach, right? And then uh, how can you um, reinforce? And you do this in each one of these areas. So it's very practical, very easy to understand, great insights. It's written very well, too. It's written in a very conversational style. You know, you got all these little quips in there, all these little jokes that you put in there <laughs> as you read. So it makes it a fun read. Again, the book is called Mama Bear Apologetics. The website, Mama, M-A-M-A, that's how you spell mama for this, M-A-M-A, bear, B-E-A-R, apologetics.com. So if you guys want to get more on this and more learn about Hillary and the other people in this book, just go to Mama bearapologetics.com. The book has just been out uh, just a few weeks now. You can go to Amazon or anywhere you can get books and pick up a copy. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more with Hillary about some of the insights that she and these other apologists, all ladies, by the way, have put in this new book, Mama Bear Apologetics. I also want to mention that this weekend, my myself, Jay Warner Wallace, and Mike Adams are going to be in Rancho Santa Fe, California, doing our Fearless Faith program this weekend. I'll be there Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, along with Mike and Jim on... Ah, we're back in two minutes. Don't go away. Run out of time. Thank you for listening to the Cross-Examined Podcast. This material is made available to you for free by the contributions of listeners like you. If you wish to support future podcasts, just go to crossexamine.org and click on the Donate button, or simply use the Donate feature directly on our app. Thanks. As I was saying, before I got cut off by the clock this weekend, just north of San Diego, Rancho Santa Fe, I'll be with Jay Warner Wallace, Mike Adams, doing Fearless Faith. Saturday night, Sunday morning, I'll be at Horizon Church in Rancho Santa Fe doing the morning or the evening and morning services. And then that night, Sunday night and Monday night, I'll be joined by Jay Warner Wallace and Mike Adams doing our Fearless Faith program. It's for anybody that wants to be better at work. With your faith, with your workmates, or in college, high school, that kind of thing. So we're preparing you for work and school to have a fearless faith. So check that out. It's free, by the way. Uh, You just got to show up there at Horizon Church. And all the details are on our website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. And then next Saturday night and Sunday morning, I'll be at Grace Community Church, Sarasota, Florida. Grace Community Church, Sarasota, Florida. That's June 29th and June 30th. So I hope to see you out there. I'll be doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist during the services there. Okay, back to my friend Hillary Morgan Ferrer, the new book, Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. 
Now, uh, Hillary, this book is extremely practical. So if you had to sum up, what's the biggest difference between this book and other apologetic books that, that are written for parents? Um, I'd say the biggest difference is I think the books for other apolo- uh, the apologetics books for other parents have really important focus, which is answering the specific questions that are mm-hmm. coming up. And I think that is absolutely needed. But as I describe, I think at uh, one point in the book, sometimes answering the questions is like playing that game whack-a-mole. You know, I don't know yeah. if you played that at the place where the, right. the mole pops up and you whack it down. Well, we're having these questions pop up almost like weeds. And so instead of trying to just address when the kid is actually having the question, we're trying to go back to the foundation that we're building from a young age to prevent those questions from even making sense. For example, you know, the idea of science and faith being at odds with each other, that that comes from a worldview that is not necessarily correct. And so how can we prevent them from having these questions and understanding just the rightful order of where where biblical truth fits in with culture before we start having culture telling them stuff like you can't discover truth or the the government is the one that's going to save you, not Jesus. All, or you can save yourself, you know, as in the self-help is in chapter. How do we mm-hmm. prevent these bad ideas? In fact, uh, I was doing a podcast with uh, my new podcast host, Amy Davison, and we were comparing the difference if, from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe of Lucy, who was taught to spot the evil first. She, she learned from Tumnus what the evil queen was like. And so when the evil queen came, she wasn't duped by her versus Edmund, who met the evil queen first before he was told the truth and trying to reverse his thoughts on that was a very difficult. It was really, really difficult and ended up with him basically going off and they had to save him and think about how much harder it is to save your kids from a bad idea if we haven't really prepared them to expect these bad ideas to begin with. And I thought that that was just such a great analogy. And you point out that as we've said so many times here that 70, 75% of the kids walk away from the church once they go to college. What do you think Mm -hmm. the main reason for that is? Oh, Barna's done a really good study and identified six of the main reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, the God in science is a huge deal. And that's one of the one, that's one of the reasons why I did my master's in biology is because I really wanted to be able to speak into that area. And I purposely went to a secular school for that. Um, The idea of doubt and not being able to express your doubts. In fact, Fuller Institute found that just being able to express doubts actually helped alleviate some of the doubts. It's it's really that silence around the doubts that Mm. um, that fosters even more doubts. It's kind of like this this beast that just keeps growing bigger and bigger if you're not allowed to to. I don't know, have some catharsis of letting it out and realize, oh, other people have these questions. Uh, I think they also identify just the idea of the exclusive nature of Christianity. And that, mm-hmm. I think, goes along with our pluralistic and hyper tolerant PC culture that we have right now. And this is an area where I think especially the Mama Bear book devotes a lot of time to addressing with the kids what true tolerance looks like, what true love looks like, because if they're fed a wrong definition, which we we actually address this in chapter four called linguistic theft, we have society that is changing the definitions of things that we as Christians are supposed to be affirming. And so but if, if they change the definition, now we're affirming something that scripture doesn't affirm, but the kids are getting confused because they're using the same words. Hang on a sec, because um, I want to come back to linguistic theft. I marked up that chapter and, and running through here, but I want to go back before we go to lin- linguistic theft. I want to talk a little bit about science because you have a degree in biology. You went to Clemson. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what were you taught there with regard to evolution? Was that part of the overall grounding of your biology degree or was that a secondary issue? How did you get through that? Were you a Christian when you went through the, the biology <laughs> program in, in Clemson? Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, w- I was definitely a Christian when I went through that. I, I purposely went to a secular school. I'd studied a lot of intelligent design in the past, and I thought, mm-hmm. you know what, I really want to know what the other side is saying. What is their evidence and what's coming from the universities? And so I did have a specific class that was on genetics and evolution. And one of the things that I noticed, and I, and I actually remark on this in the book, is that there is actually more evidence for, and I would, again, I don't like using the words micro and macro because even Mm -hmm. those, now that it's becoming so common to use them, that's another linguistic theft that they've actually changed the definition of them. So you can't even use that with them. Anyway, you have to define what you mean. Yeah. Okay. So microevolution would be evolution kind of on a small scale of seeing small changes happen within a species Mm -hmm. versus macroevolution would be something more on like the phyla level um, phyla and up. So we have, uh, let's see, kingdom, let's see, King Philip came over for green soup, kingdom, <laughs> phyla, uh, class order, uh-huh. uh, family, genus, species. So mm-hmm. I think I might've got the F's confused anyway, but, um, the evolution that happens where you really change from one organism into another, this would be the ones that are talking about land animals versus whales and right. just the, the larger changes that happen there. The thing that I noticed in the class, and it was really interesting, is how when it came to kind of the smaller changes, what they saw in populations, well, first off, nobody can agree on the definition of species. So that Mm -hmm. really makes it easy to say, oh, we see one species changing into another, but it depends on how you define species. And I found that people who um, are hardcore against evolution define species differently than the way the scientists would. But again, there's no agreed upon definition. Um, so there is a lot of evidence for thing on this for for evolution on the species level. But the thing that I noticed was when they would give us evidence, things that they had observed, they talked about it in the exact same way that all of a sudden they would switch into something that was more speculative. And they would treat it with the same amount of certainty, whereas like, hold on here. OK, this this one we don't actually have evidence for, but you're treating it as if it's just as certain. And so I think, honestly, just teaching kids how to recognize when is something evidentially supported versus when has someone entered speculation, just that distinction right there, I think could clear up a lot of miscommunication. And it would also keep us from doing a wholehearted rejection of evolution as opposed to what we talk about in the book of accepting the good, rejecting the bad. I have Mm -hmm. a whole talk on this called Darwinism and Discernment on what did Darwin get right and what did Darwin get wrong? and. That's how we need to approach all of these ideas. We can't just outright say everything's wrong or no one's going to listen to us. By the way, for those uh, who have heard of Stephen Meyer, he's been on our program several times. I'm going to have him on again this summer. He's got a new book coming out. But I just saw him on Ben Shapiro's Sunday show. Ben is doing a great job having uh, people on his Sunday program where he sits down with them and he talks with them for an hour. And the one he did with Stephen Meyer a couple of months ago is well worth watching. So... Uh, astute listeners, go to YouTube and look for Ben Shapiro, Stephen Meyer, because Stephen explains uh, the the intelligent design position so well, including all the 
problems with the Darwinian view, the neo-Darwinian view. So you want to go there and, and watch that uh, conversation he has. By the way, Ben also had a recent conversation with Dr. William Lane Craig, another one well worth watching. All right. My guest today, as you've been listening, is uh, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, her new book, Mama Bear Apologetics. She's the general editor here, written several of the chapters. It's got wonderful material in it. And one more question about science, Hillary, because you, you mm-hmm. mentioned this in the book as well. Why is it that a lot of people think Christianity and science are at odds when in reality it's Christi- it's it's science and naturalism or atheism that are that are at odds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first off, I think that the church has really done a disservice. I'm not saying all churches, but I've I've seen churches that mm-hmm. have done a real disservice by giving you a really horrible definition of faith. And they'll use phrases like, well, if we knew everything, we wouldn't need faith. And um, just the concepts of blind faith. When I look at faith, you know, I think of Hebrews 11.1, where it talks about faith as being sure of what you hope for or certain of what you do not see. There's a couple of different um, translations that that I like better. But according to the Bible, things that make you more sure and more certain are actually increasing your faith. And so this idea that, Christianity is blind faith. You check your brain at the door versus science is something that you observe. I would say, like I mentioned in the book, you wouldn't say I have faith in an accountant that I've never used, or I wouldn't say I had put my faith in a babysitter that I've never used. I'm going to wait until I see evidence for someone to, that they are faithful before I put my faith in them. And so your trust examining yeah. the, yeah, thank you. Examining the evidence and finding a way to say, how is God faithful? How has his word been proven true? And really digging into the evidence. The more we dig into the evidence, the greater our faith becomes. And yeah, I would say that was, that's probably one of, one of my major beefs between the, the whole faith and, and, uh, and science thing. And you point out as well that it's science that has a problem, or really, it's not Christianity and science that are odds. It's atheism and science that are at odds because you have this whole chapter on naturalism in there, in Mm -hmm. which you point out that obviously, if naturalism is true, we couldn't even be able to do science. We wouldn't even we we wouldn't even have our uh, an ability to follow the evidence where it leads, which is what you need to do if you are a scientist. You can't just be a moist robot. You just can't be a molecular machine. You got to be able to ascertain the truth and have a mind that can that that, that you can use to ascertain truths about the real world and and draw true conclusions about it. Mm -hmm. I also want to talk about Oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Naturalism no. tells us that even if we were to find it, examples of where it looks like there is design, that we have to ignore it just outright. And I think yeah. that any belief that says you have to outright ignore evidence is probably not the best route to take. In fact, I, I think it's um, Francis Crick that might have said this, that the I could be wrong on this. The biologist must constantly be keeping in mind that what he has seen was evolved rather than designed. And if you're having to constantly remind yourself that what you're seeing is not the case, you might want to recheck your assumptions because mm-hmm. sometimes things are what they seem. And if it seems designed, hey, maybe it's designed. No, you are correct. It was Francis Crick that he was saying, look, this stuff really looks designed, but ignore that. You know, <laughs> Don't trust your lion eyes. OK, yes. <laughs> listen to what I say. This stuff wasn't designed, even though it really was. Uh, you're listening to Cross Examine with Frank Turk and the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, the new book, Mama Bear Apologetics. And I want to ask Hillary about the five the five words that the culture has stolen and changed 
in the chapter that she has written called Linguistic Theft. It's in the book. We'll talk about it right after the break. Don't go away. College campuses are hostile to the Christian faith, and three out of four young people walk away from the church once they go to college. That's why we go to college campuses and present I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist in the United States and even all over the world. When we do this, we don't charge students a dime. That's why we need your financial support. In fact, over the past couple of years, we've been able to grow dramatically because of your generous support. And 100% of your donations go to ministry. Zero percent go to building. So when you give to Cross-Examined, you'll be giving to help us go reach young people where they are. Would you consider giving today? Thank you so much, and thank you so much for what you've done already. The culture has stolen some words and poured new meaning into them. They've committed linguistic theft. What can you as a parent do to protect your children from the false definition or the false definitions of these words? We're going to get into it with my guest, Hillary Morgan Ferrer, the new book, Mama Bear Apologetics, you need to get. You want to empower your kids to challenge cultural lies. And Hillary, I love this chapter because you point out that the words love, truth, tolerance, justice, and equality have all been hijacked to mean different things now. Why don't we start with the word love? How has that been changed by our culture? <laughs> so we talk about in the book how the, the classical concept of love was to will the good of another. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, we see we see love all over scripture and we, we hear that God is love, but it has kind of been turned into anything that makes someone uncomfortable or if you disagree with someone that itself is unloving. So what happens if, if the culture takes this idea of love, changes the definition, says if you make someone uncomfortable, if you make them feel uh, threatened, if you don't affirm everything that they believe, that's being unloving. And then they put that back on our kids and say, you're not being loving. The kids, what they start thinking of is, oh, well, God says I'm supposed to be loving. Well, OK, I'll do whatever I need to do in order to be loving. But they don't realize that that definition has been hijacked. <laughs> what is the true definition? What what should we do when something is going to not be in the best interests of somebody or hurt them or others? What should what what should we tell our kids to do that the loving thing to do is? Um, the loving thing to do is to and I know a lot of times people say that this is really difficult is to affirm the person, but not the ideology. Mm -hmm. The problem that we're having right now uh, is that people are being held captive to these ideas and they have said, I am my ideology. And so this is a really difficult way to uh, to do this. It, I, I use an example in here of the, the idea of being captive to bad ideas, I think, uh, used in scripture is if you go back to basically any cop show, if you have a captive and a captor, you can't take a shot unless you have a clear shot. And so it, the first thing we have to do is try to distance themselves, distance, help them distance from the ideology versus the identity and really affirm who they are. And I think this is being loving to them, being uh, wanting to do things with them. Uh, I have a story of a guy that I knew back from Santa Barbara when I lived that had a real heart for the homosexual community. And so he would be surfing with these guys. He would be going out and doing stuff. But when he decided, oh, I'm going to go to a gay bar with them, I kind of mentioned, well, at that point, you're 
affirming the action, not necessarily affirming the person. Mm -hmm. And so all the other things are good to be treating them just like they're a friend, getting them to those baby steps to where they can see that you do love them. It's going to help them understand what true love is. And they'll receive maybe what you say, the gospel, uh, with more open ears at that point, because you form that relationship. And as any mama bear knows, if you affirm everything your child wants to do, you're not being loving, you're being unloving. You need to stand in the way of evil, just like a uh, a real bear will stand in the way, a real mama bear will stand in the way of evil approaching her cubs. You need to do the yeah. same as a mom or a dad, because love doesn't mean you affirm everything. Love means you affirm the things that are good and you stand against the things that are evil. So the culture has hijacked this word love. You point out here in this, and again, the book is Mama Bear Apologetics. Hillary Morgan Ferrer is my guest. How about this word truth? What does that mean now in our culture, Hillary? Ah, <laughs> uh, truth. Yes, this is this is a big theme right now, because uh, if you've noticed, there is now possess a pronoun in front of the word truth everywhere you look. My truth, his truth, I'm living. Everybody wants to have their own truth. And so the idea of truth being true for everyone, I think kind of started where we uh, Honestly, like we talk about objective truth and subjective truth and subjective truth, I think that that's almost a misnomer. I think once we said that there was such a thing as subjective truth instead of perception or a preference, we have now entered this idea that there could be something true that is truly subjective. So the, mm -hmm. the classic example that people give is flavor of ice cream. It's I wouldn't say that it's subjectively true that that's my favorite flavor of ice cream. I would say that is my preference um, because there can be an objective statement to that, to say Hillary Morgan's Ferrer favorite ice cream is a turtle sundae. And that actually is true for all people at all times. So mm -hmm. that would be an objective truth to state that it's my preference. But when we make my preference a truth, I don't know. I think that's kind of a misuse of the word truth, but so everybody is wanting to create their own truth. And of course, um, one of the things that we see, like, say, in postmodernism and in some of the Marxism is truth has been actually reinterpreted as something that is oppressive. Mm. And is that true? So, is that really uh, true? Exactly. <laughs> is that objectively uh, true, Hillary? <laughs> I know. I know. This is the question we need to ask. But, you know, so when kids hear, oh, truth is truth is oppressive, it's just the the powerful people trying to put their truth on you when they hear Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. When they hear that, that word saying Jesus is the truth, that is, they're going to hear that from a hostile perspective if they have bought into the lies of some of the Marxism, some of the um, uh, postmodernism. And so that's another word that if they, like I, I say in here, when our society messes with the definition of truth, it is messing with our kids' foundation of reality. If our children no longer feel comfortable using reality, as their arbiter of truth, they will be insecure and timid, timid about having any convictions whatsoever. And I think that really summarizes why we need to be addressing the idea of truth with them. How about this word tolerance? It used to mean that you disagreed with somebody, but you also would tolerate that idea and their ability to express that idea. It doesn't mean that anymore in our culture today. What does the word tolerance now mean? Oh, yeah. So, thankfully, the Oxford Dictionary has not changed. Um, and so they talk about in order to have tolerance, there has to be dislike or disagreement. And so what tolerance has turned into now is everybody has to gr agree that everybody is equally right. Everybody has an equal opportunity to live their truth. And you really can't say anything about anybody else's. It's basically turned tolerance 
tolerance is tolerant on everyone except for anyone that makes an exclusive claim. So you're free to believe whatever you want unless you actually think it's true. And then at that point, you're being intolerant. And that's a dangerous position to put kids mm -hmm. in to say, you can believe this, but you can't actually believe it enough to have a conviction about it because they're, they're going to back down if, if they think that. that that's true. That's right. Mm -hmm. We won't tolerate that. Now, notice, friends, oh, that absolutely. the words that we're, we're talking about here, love, truth and tolerance, the liberal or cultural definitions of these truths are all self-defeating because on one mm -hmm. hand, they'll say love is you have to affirm what I believe, but they don't affirm what you believe about love. Right. <laughs> yeah. They don't affirm that. They say, no, you're wrong. You, in order mm -hmm. to love, you need to affirm what I do. Well, they don't affirm what you're doing. <laughs> so uh, that definition of love doesn't work. Truth. You have to affirm my truth. And if you don't affirm my truth, you're objectively wrong. It's exactly. objectively tr it's objectively true. There are no truths, they say. Yes. Uh, it's it, and, and then for tolerance. Gee, I mean, we could talk a, a month about that. These people yeah. don't tolerate people who don't agree with them, which is what mm -hmm. tolerance is. They don't tolerate <laughs> Christians or Muslims or Jews saying, you know, that certain sexual relationships are right and others are wrong. They don't tolerate that, despite the fact that they claim they're very tolerant. So it, it oozes an things, irony in every way. Oh, there is. How about justice? That's another word they've hijacked. What does it mean to them? Uh, so the justice, culture, I yeah, say. I kind of put justice and equality together and... Okay. Anytime there's a discrepancy anywhere, this is this is kind of my my observation. Anytime that there's a discrepancy, the cause must be because there's injustice or inequality. And so it's like they're looking at equality of outcome, no matter what, no matter motives, no matter um, uh, what's it, work ethic, no matter mm -hmm. no matter anything. It has to be equality of outcome. Otherwise, it is unjust and unequal. And so basically, I say the side that controls uh, the words love, tolerance, justice and equality can basically shut the conversation down because they use all the tactics that we talk about in here of why people use linguistic theft in the first place. And so this is also a really confusing one, especially with the social justice that's going on right now. Because justice is a frequent, a frequent theme in the Old and the New Testament. And it's something our kids are said, our God is a just God. So if our God is a just God, and we've now changed the definition to mean that everybody can have equal outcome uh, instead of what is merited, that, uh, that can be confusing for them as well. In fact, you write here on page 72, in today's culture, justice no longer means what is merited. When someone talks about equality, they, don't, they are no longer referring to equality of access or worth. They mean equality of outcome. For example, Harvard decided that there were too many Asians being admitted to the school, and that was unjust to other races. Their solution changed the criteria for admittance based on race. The practice has landed them in a legal battle. To be considered for admittance, Asian students must have SAT scores that on average are 140 points high higher than their white classmates, 270 points higher than Hispanics and 450 points higher than African-Americans. That's or how's that for justice and equality? Exactly. And I, I made the same point recently here on the podcast, uh, Hillary, that that's the same thing that's true with with the so-called same sex orient or sexual orientation laws, which are, mm -hmm. are supposed to bring justice. So you don't discriminate against people that have same sex attraction. The problem is what it actually creates is it gives an advantage to those people because anybody who isn't same-sex attracted or 
has that orientation, so to speak, in the workplace is automatically put at a disadvantage at a disadvantage because who is going to be let go when this company has to downsize? Are they going to let go John and Jane Doe who don't have any legal recourse to sue or are they going to let go someone who claims to be LGBTQ? They're going to let John and Jane go. John, easy for me to say. John and Jane Doe go. <laughs> Gee, say that 10 times fast because they can't sue. Because they don't have any protection based on their sexual orientation. So it actually turns out to be unjust and unequal rather than equal. And yeah. so this book, by the way, again, it's called Mama Bear Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. It's not only for mama bears, it's for papa bears, and it's for kids, too. Hillary, I think kids can read this. Yeah, I mean, my I, nephew I, says that he's reading it. So I look forward to seeing, hearing. Yeah, partly he's reading it because I told him there's stories about him in there. But <laughs> <laughs> good. That's a good way to get them to read. Now, what yeah. do you let's let's briefly go through in a minute. If not, if we can't do it in a minute, let's let's we'll carry it over into the next section. How do you roar? Let's use roar that acronym you had earlier to deal with with these kinds of issues. So how do you recognize First of all, that these words are being redefined. Oh, so I, I, I think you can find actually like T-shirts and jewelry are a really great way. I posted something on um, Facebook the other day that was a at a what's it like a little craft fair that said all good things are wild and free. And I think that our society provides lots of ways to say to, to show, OK, what exactly is wild and free? Can we think of examples where that's not true? Oh, um, good, good. So we, we can when you see things with your kids, you can just point them out and discuss them. That's yeah. a lot better than let's open the Bible and have a it's not better than open the Bible, but it's it seems <laughs> a lot less uh, a lot less offensive to the kid to just kind of have a natural conversation about these things. All right, we're back in two minutes. Yeah, with Hillary Morgan Ferrer. Don't go away. Back in two. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find more. Just type cross-examine or Frank Turek on the search bar. Also, visit our website where we add new videos, articles, and free resources daily. Welcome back to Cross-Examine with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. If you're low on the FM dial and you're looking for national public radio, go no further. You're never going to hear this on NPR, but you will hear it here. And we hope it's the truth. That's what we're trying to tell you about. The new book, Mama Bear Apologetics, edited by my friend Hillary Morgan Ferrer. She's been my guest the whole program. And we were talking about linguistic theft and the five words that uh, have been hijacked by our culture and different meanings have been poured into them. I want to move on to another chapter now. We couldn't totally complete the thought there. That's okay. You need to get the book anyway. Uh, and parents, you just need to tell your kids or show your kids what the true definitions of those words are rather than just allowing the culture to define those words for you and for them and remember, the words, again, are love, truth, tolerance, justice, and equality. So get the book, and you'll be able to do that in a, in a very easy way. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about, I didn't have enough time to complete the thought, but we were talking about how to make lessons, life lessons, easy without having to always open the Bible and make it seem like it's a lecture. That's what I was trying to communicate there. And I remember... Uh, 
um, Oz Guinness saying this, uh, a Christian apologist and thinker uh, from the UK, although he lives in the US now. He, he liked to play with his kids, spot the lie. So you're watching a TV show, you know, there's premarital sex on there and there's never any consequences. Everybody's always happy or the LGBTQ thing is going on. Everyone's always happy. There's no, ne- no negative consequences ever. Uh, you just stop with your kid and you say, hey, what's being communicated? What's com- being communicated here? What is the lie here? And it makes it for a fun way of doing cultural commentary and real world lessons without always making it sound so didactic. And so I think Mm -hmm. spot the lie is a really good way of making those points. And it's exactly what you just said a minute ago, Hillary, uh, before we went to the break. But let me go to another chapter in here that's extremely important in the book, Mama Bear Apologetics. Friends, again, Mama, M-A-M-A, Apologetics. (laughs) dot mama bear b-e-a-r apologetics.com okay uh go there and then get this book mama bear apologetics you have an entire chapter on emotionalism i'm going to read a section of it here in a minute but before we do why is this this such an important chapter hillary Oh, goodness. So the emotionalism, I think, kind of takes several of the previous chapters and kind of wraps it up and it says, where are we? Where are we now? So it takes the postmodernism, it takes the moral relativism, and then it kind of takes us to where we are now. And if anybody has been paying attention to what is going on on college campuses or just in the different all, all the different protests that are going on everywhere. And even on Facebook, we even address in the emotionalism chapter, the all caps mode that people go into that if they're trying to make a point, you don't seem like you're really agreeing with them. Suddenly they go into all caps mode as if that is going to be the thing that finally it's like, oh, now that you use all caps. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's this idea that emotions and the strength of the emotions can determine how true something is. And this is so prevalent in our society uh, that we cannot afford to ignore this. Yeah, you say here on page uh, 171, the problem with using our emotions for determining truth is that they have to first be conformed to truth in order to tell us anything useful. For a compass to work, it must first be magnetized. Otherwise, it won't point to true north. Disciplining our emotions with truth is like magnetizing our emotional compass. We can follow our emotions, but only after we have made sure our emotional compass is pointing in the right direction. That reminds me of Romans chapter 12, by the way, Hillary, where Mm, Paul says we have to renew our minds. Well, that presupposes our minds need renewing. (laughs) (laughs) How do we do it? And this book, Mamba Bear Apologetics, will, will help them do that. Um, what else from this chapter do you think that uh, really needs to be made known? They have to read the entire chapter. We can't get through it here in the book. But people, it seems to me, and I, I've said this before, too, it seems to me that what we would call conservatives, theological conservatives, mm-hmm. political conservatives, Hillary, we want to change our behavior to fit reality. Whereas mm-hmm. people on the other side, liberals and so-called progressives, they want to change reality to fit their behavior. Yes. And and that is a fool's errand. You can't change reality to fit your behavior. You, you, you need to change your behavior to fit reality. You can't change reality to fit your behavior yet. That's what they want to do. And they want to do it just based on emotion, why is that not going to work? Well, I uh, so I don't go into a lot of the technical definitions of things like syllogism mm-hmm. in this book. But this uh, the section here in the recognize the message, uh, we, we actually divide this one slightly differently than the other chapters that we go into the assumptions of emotionalism. And then we go to the message 
of emotionalism and the assumptions of emotionalism are essentially a syllogism in the, the sense that I have two statements that if those two statements are true, then the third statement has to be true. Mm-hmm. So the three statements are, I cannot choose or control my emotions. I really think that for the first time, our society is the first one that is really bought into this idea that my emotions are uncontrollable. I, even if I can change them, even if I can control them, I shouldn't because then I'm being inauthentic. Mm. Um, the second belief that if this one's true, negative emotions are harmful. So if anytime someone feels uncomfortable, this is like all the safe spaces that we see. Oh, that even hearing a counter idea makes me uncomfortable. I need to be in a safe space because negative emotions are harmful. So think about those two, those two premises. I cannot control my emotions. Negative emotions are harmful. What's the logical conclusion that has to come from those? Oh, I can't hear anything negative. Anything that disagrees <laughs> we, with me, right? Exactly. So that conclusion is we must change reality to protect our emotions. If those two things are true, we have to change reality. And that is what we're seeing right now. We're seeing that um, again, going back to the idea of how do we, how can our kids determine what is truth? If they can't use their physical bodies as even an arbiter of truth, and if they can't use reality, that if truth is only what they're thinking at, at any particular time or what they're feeling, especially with emotionalism, that that goes in a lot of different directions. I think about um, most of the counseling that goes on, cognitive behavioral therapy for people maybe who suffer with depression, who suffer with eating disorders. Basically, we have to, if, if emotionalism is true, we have to toss all that out because if someone feels worthless and they can't control that, then essentially that is that is true. And so we need to now change everything around them so that they don't feel worthless instead of saying, you are not worthless. Let's look at all the ways you're not worthless and get your your emotions to actually match reality. Um, yeah, we're, we're made in the image and likeness of God. That's the only grounding we have for our ultimate worth. If either we are or we're absolutely. not, if, if we are, then we have worth. If we're not, if we're just going to become worm food and everything that we've ever accomplished here on earth is ultimately going to go to heat death anyway, then there is no real meaning to life and there is no real worth to life and no real worth to human beings. The only way we can really have worth is if we're made in the image of the ultimate, the being with ultimate worth, God, and we are. So it's important that your kids understand this and believe what's right. In fact, there's an epidemic of teen suicide right now because a part of that is because kids just don't see any meaning to life. We're completely amusing ourselves to death. We've got all these games, all these choices, all, all these ways to trivialize life and to try and go through life numb. And we don't really have any meaning for life. And it's no wonder, unfortunately, so many young people take their lives. That's why this book, Mama Bear Apologetics, you didn't think I'd be talking about this in the context of suicide here, Hillary, but this book, the one that you've put together with several other wonderful uh, apologists can help get parents to communicate to their children that they really are made in the likeness and image of God, that there really is something to live for, that there really is truth out there. They can know it. They can have true meaning in their lives and they can't, they don't have to be swayed by emotions which come and go and are so fickle. And yeah. that's what this chapter here on emotionalism uh, is, is so important for them to read. Um, if if you had to just say one thing about emotionalism to your children to help them understand uh, the truth, what would you say to them about this whole topic of emotionalism? 
<laughs> I would probably address the the phrase that they're going to hear probably multiple times a day, anytime they watch any kind of media, and that's follow your heart. Mm. And this is one of those ways that you can really make a game out of something because following your heart is basically following your desires. And so uh, Elisa, uh, Lisa Childers, I think in her chapter says a couple examples of what if I get mad and I want to kick, kick your father in the shins. Should I follow my heart? And you can just think of all sorts of wacky things sure. uh, that, that really make them laugh, that show the truth that following your heart is really a bad idea. And mm. one of my recommendations is just to look up regrettable tattoos because all those people followed their heart at the same <laughs> at that moment and regretted it later. Um, this is one of the ones you can just kind of make it into a game that's funny, but when it's funny, it takes down the, oh, this is a lecture and it really turns it into a game to where they can think of all the ridiculous things where they shouldn't follow their heart. But that concept will be kind of digging into, into their, into their heart, <laughs> into their thought process to where when they hear people say that they're immediately going to think of all the times when, no, that's really a bad idea. And so they're not going to fall prey to that. Solomon said in Proverbs for guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Mm -hmm. And of course, Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful and wicked. Who could know it? No, we don't follow our hearts. We follow the truth and we reorient our hearts toward the truth. That's why we need to renew our minds. Mm -hmm. Hillary, it's been great having you on the program. We're out of time already, but tell people where they can learn more about you and your ministry and your podcast and the book. Again, uh, you can go to our website, mamabearapologetics.com. That's mama, M-A-M-A. And you can go to a lot of places selling the book, Christian Books, Target, Amazon, um, golly, what was the other one? Uh, Barnes and Noble, are, they mm -hmm. all have the books out. And uh, I would just like to say, <laughs> just as a plug for the book, that Amazon sold out on the very first day. And we had to go into a second printing within a week. So there are mama bear groups that are forming all around the country. So I would say go get the book and then find some like-minded mamas that want to read through this with you. And uh, yeah, I think you'll be blessed. Well, well done. Mama Bear Apologetics, mamabearapologetics.com. Get the book, use it. It's not just for mamas, it's for dads too. And look, anybody in junior high and above can read this and get truth out of it and real practical truth. So I highly recommend you get the book. Thanks for being on, Hillary. And uh, I want to mention again, I'm going to be in San Diego with my friend Jay Warner Wallace and Mike Adams for Fearless Faith at Horizon Church, Rancho Santa Fe, California, just north of that this weekend. Next weekend, Sarasota, Florida, be at Grace Community Church church there. All the details on our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see my calendar there. Hope to see you out there. God bless. See you next week. We hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. If you think our podcast needs to reach more people, here's what you can do to help. Go to iTunes and type cross-examined official podcast, four words in the search bar, and leave us a five-star rating. It'll take you less than five seconds. And if you have a few more seconds to spare, leave us a positive review. The best reviews will be featured on future episodes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. God bless. God bless.